Chapter 4 of Pilgrimage to Al Medina and Mecca. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ted Garvin. Chapter 4 of Personal Narrative of a Pilgrimage to Al Medina and Mecca by Richard Francis Burton. Cairo, though abounding in medical practitioners, can still support more but to thrive they must be Indians, Chinese, or Mahrabis. The Egyptians are thoroughly disgusted with European treatment, which is here about as efficacious as in India, that is to say, not at all. But they are ignorant of the medicine of Hind, and therefore great is its name, deservedly, perhaps, for skill in simples and dietetics, besides which the Indian may deal in charms and spells, things to which the latitude gives such force that even Europeans learn to put faith in them. The traveller who, on the banks of the Seine, scoffs at sights and sounds, table-turning and spirit-wrapping, sees in the wilds of Tartary and Thibet a something supernatural and diabolical in the bungly Sifa of the Bokte. Certain lamas, who we learn from Monsieur Hook, perform famous Sifa, or supernaturalisms, such as cutting open the abdomen, licking red-hot irons, making incisions in various parts of the body, which an instant afterwards leave no trace behind, etc., etc. The devil may have a great deal to do with the matter, in Tartary, for all I know, but I can assure Monsieur Huck that the Rufe Darwishes in India and the Saidiya at Cairo perform exactly the same feats. Their jugglery, seen through the smoke of incense and amidst the enthusiasm of a crowd is tolerably dexterous and no more some sensible men who pass for philosophers among their friends have been caught by the incantations of the turbaned and bearded cairo magician in our west african colonies the phrase growing black was applied to colonists who after a term of residence became thoroughly imbued with the superstitions of the land and there are not wanting old Anglo-Indians, intelligent men, that place firm trust in tales and tenets too puerile even for the Hindus to believe. As a Hindi, I could use animal magnetism, taking care, however, to give the science a specious supernatural appearance. Haji Wali, who, professing positive skepticism, showed the greatest interest in the subject as a curiosity, advised me not to practice pure mesmerism, Otherwise, that I should infallibly become a companion of devils. You must call this an Indian secret, said my friend, for it is clear that you are no Mashek, a holy man. The word has a singular signification in a plural form, honoris causa. And people will ask, where are your drugs? And what business have you with charms? It is useless to say that I followed his counsel, yet patients would consider themselves my myriads, disciples, and delighted in kissing the hand of the sahib nafas a title literally meaning the master of breath one who can cure ailments physical as well as spiritual by breathing upon them a practice well known to mesmerists the reader will allow me to observe in self-defense otherwise he might look suspiciously upon so credulous a narrator that when speaking of animal magnetism as a thing established i allude to the lower phenomena rejecting the discussion of all disputed points as the existence of a magnetic aura and of all its unintelligibilities prevision levitation introvision 
and other divisions of clairvoyance. Or minor saint. The haji repaid me for my docility by vaunting me everywhere as the very phoenix of physicians. My first successes were in the Wakala. Opposite to me there lived an Arab slave dealer, whose Abyssinians constantly fell sick. A tender race, they suffer when first transported to Egypt from many complaints, especially consumption, dysentery, and varicose veins. I succeeded in curing one girl. As she was worth at least fifteen pounds, the gratitude of her owner was great, and I had to dose half a dozen others in order to cure them of the pernicious and price-lowering habit of snoring. Living in rooms opposite these slave girls, and seeing them at all hours of the day and night, I had frequent opportunities of studying them. They were average specimens of the Statiopigus Abyssinian breed, broad-shouldered, thin-flanked, fine-limbed, and with haunches of a prodigious size. None of them had handsome features, but the short curly hair that stands on end being concealed under a kerchief. There was something pretty in the brow, eyes, and upper part of the nose, coarse and sensual and dependent lips, large jowl and projecting mouth, whilst the whole had a combination of piquancy with sweetness. Their style of flirtation was peculiar. How beautiful thou art, O Mariam! What eyes! What! Then why, would respond the lady, don't you buy me? We are of one faith, of one creed, formed to form each other's happiness. Then why don't you buy me? Conceive, O Mariam, the blessing of two hearts. Then why don't you buy me? And so on. Most effectual gag to Cupid's eloquence. Yet was not the plain-spoken Mariam's reply without its moral. How often is it our fate, in the West as in the East, to see in bright eyes and to hear from rosy lips an implied, if not an expressed, why don't you buy me? Or worse still, why can't you buy me? All I required, in return for my services from the slave dealer, whose brutal countenance and manners were truly repugnant, was to take me about the town, and explain to me certain mysteries in his craft, which knowledge might be useful in time to come. Little did he suspect who his interrogator was, and freely in his unsuspiciousness he entered upon the subject of slave hunting in the Somali country, and Zanzibar, of all places the most interesting to me. I have, however, nothing new to report concerning the present state of bondsmen in Egypt. England has already learned that slaves are not necessarily the most wretched and degraded of men. Some have been bold enough to tell the British public that, in the generality of Oriental countries, in the generality, not in all. Nothing, for instance, can be more disgraceful to human nature than the state of predial slavery, or serfs attached to the glebe, when Malabar was under the dominion of the mild Hindu. And as a rule in the East, it is only the domestic slaves who taste the sweets of slavery. Yet there is truth in Sonini's terrible remark, the severe treatment under which the slaves languish in the West Indies is the shameful prerogative of civilization and is unknown to those nations among whom barbarism is reported to hold sway. Travels in Upper and Lower Egypt, Volume 2. The serf fares better than the servant, or indeed than the poorest orders of freemen. The laws of Mahomet enjoy his followers to treat slaves with the greatest mildness, and the Muslims are in general scrupulous observers of the apostles' recommendation. Slaves are considered members of the family, and in houses where free servants are also kept, they seldom do any work than filling the pipes, presenting the coffee, accompanying their master when going out, rubbing his feet when he takes a nap in the afternoon, and driving away the flies from him. 
when a slave is not satisfied he can legally compel his master to sell him he has no care for food lodging clothes and washing and has no taxes to pay he is exempt from military service and suckage and in spite of his bondage is freer than the freest fellow in egypt the author has forgotten to mention one of the principal advantages of slaves namely the prospect of arriving at the highest rank of the empire the pasha of the syrian caravan with which i travelled to damascus had been the slave of a slave and he is but a solitary instance of cases perpetually occurring in all moslem lands says un homme de bonne famille said a turkish officer in egypt il est acheté this is i believe a true statement but of course it in no wise affects the question of slavery in the abstract a certain amount of reputation was the consequence of curing the abyssinian girls my friend haji wali carefully told the news to all the town and before fifteen days were over i found myself obliged to decline extending a practice which threatened me with fame servants are most troublesome things to all englishmen in egypt but especially to one travelling as a respectable native and therefore expected to have slaves after much deliberation i resolved to take a berberi a barbarian from nubia and upper egypt some authorities mr lane for instance attribute the good reputation of these people to their superior cunning Sanini says they are intelligent and handy servants but knaves others believe in them as far as i could find out they were generally esteemed more honest than the egyptians and they certainly possess a certain sense of honor unknown to their northern brethren berberi is a term of respect masri corrupted from misery in the mouth of a badawi or an arab of arabia is a reproach he shall be called an egyptian means he shall belong to a degraded race and accordingly summoned a sheikh there is a sheikh for everything down to thieves in the east in egypt since the days of diodorus siculus and made no by want the list of sine qua nons was necessarily rather an extensive one good health and a readiness to travel anywhere a little skill in cooking sewing and washing willingness to fight and a habit of regular prayers after a day's delay the sheikh brought me a specimen of his choosing a broad-shouldered bandy-legged fellow with the usual bulldog expression of the berberus in his case rendered doubly expressive by the drooping of an eyelid an accident brought about with acrid juice in order to avoid conscription he responded sturdily to all my questions some egyptian donkey boys and men were making a noise in the room at the time and the calm ferocity with which he ejected them commanded my approval when a needle thread and an unhemmed napkin were handed to him he sat down held the edge of the cloth between his big toe and his neighbor and finished the work in quite a superior style walking out he armed himself with a curbage which he used now lightly then heavily upon all laden animals biped and quadruped that came in the way his conduct proving equally satisfactory in the kitchen after getting security from him and having his name registered by the sheikh who becomes responsible and must pay for any theft his protege may commit berberis being generally les suisse of respectable establishments are expected to be honest but i can assert from experience that as a native you will never recover the value of a stolen article without having recourse to the police for its valuable security the sheikh demands a small fee seven or eight piastres 
which despite the urgent remonstrances of protector and protege you deduct from the latter's wages the question of pay is a momentous one too much always spoils a good servant too little leaves you without one an egyptian of the middle class would pay his burberry about forty piastres a month besides board lodging some small prerequisites and presents on special occasions this however will not induce a man to travel especially to cross the sea i closed with him for eighty piastres a month but ali the burberry and i were destined to part before a fortnight he stabbed his fellow-servant a surat lad who wishing to return home forced his services upon me and for this trick he received with his dismissal four hundred blows on the feet by order of the zabit or police magistrate after this failure i tried to a number of servants egyptians saidis a man from the said or upper egypt and clean and unclean eating a favorite way of annoying the berberers is to repeat the saying we have eaten the clean we have eaten the unclean meaning that they are by no means cunning in the difference between right and wrong pure and impure i will relate the origin of the saying as i heard it differently from mansfield parkins life in abyssinia chapter thirty one a berberie said my informant had been carefully fattening a fine sheep for a feast when his cottage was burned by an accident in the ashes he found roasted meat which looked tempting to a hungry man he called his neighbors and all sat down to make merry over the mishap presently they came to the head which proved to be that of a dog some enemy having doubtless stolen the sheep and put the impure animal in its place whereupon sadly perplexed all the burberries went to their priest and dolefully related the circumstance expecting absolution as the offence was involuntary you have eaten filth said the man of allah well replied the burberries falling upon him with their fists filth or not we have eaten it the burberry i must remark is the patty of this part of the world celebrated for bulls and blunders burberries recommended by different shakes all had some fatal defect one cheated recklessly another robbed me a third drank a fourth was always in scrapes for infringing the julian edict and the last a long-legged nubian after remaining two days in the house dismissed me for expressing a determination to travel by sea from suez to yambu i kept one man he complained that he was worked to death two they did nothing but fight and three they left me as mr elway said of old to serve myself at last thoroughly tired of egyptian domestics and one servant being really sufficient for comfort as well as suitable to my assumed rank i determined to keep only the indian boy he had all the defects of his nation a brave at cairo he was an arrant coward at al Medina. the badawin despised him heartily for his effeminacy in making his camel kneel to dismount and he could not keep his hands from picking and sealing but the choice had its advantages his swarthy skin and chubby features made the arabs always call him an abyssinian slave which as it favored my disguise i did not care to contradict he served well he was amenable to discipline and being completely dependent upon me he was therefore less likely to watch and especially to prate about my proceedings as master and man we performed the pilgrimage together but on my return to egypt after the pilgrimage sheikh become haji nur finding me to be a sahib the generic name given by indians to english officials changed for the worse 
he would not work and reserved all his energy for the purpose of pilfering which he practised so audaciously upon my friends as well upon myself that he could not be kept in the house perhaps the reader may be curious to see the necessary expenses of a bachelor residing at cairo he must observe however in the following list that i was not a strict economist and besides that i was a stranger to the country inhabitants and old settlers would live as well for little more than two-thirds the sum house rent at eighteen piastres per mensum twenty-four pence servant at eighty piastres per due two shillings twenty-six pence breakfast for self and servant ten eggs five pence coffee ten pence watermelon now five piastres one shilling two rolls of bread ten pence two pounds of meat two shillings twenty pence two rolls of bread ten pence dinner vegetables twenty pence rice five pence oil and clarified butter one shilling a skin of nile water one shilling sundries tobacco one shilling there are four kinds of tobacco smoked in egypt the first and best is the well-known latakia generally called jabali either from a small seaport town about three hours journey south of latakia or more probably because grown on the hills near the ancient laodicea pure it is known by its blackish color fine shredding absence of stalk and an indescribable odor to me resembling that of creosote the leaf too is small so that when made into cigars it must be covered over with a slip of the yellow turkish tobacco called bafrot except that the highest houses unadulterated latakia is not to be had in cairo yet mixed as it is no other growth exceeds it in flavor and fragrance miss martineau smoked it we are told without inconvenience and it differs from our shag bird's eye and returns in degree as does chateau margot from a bottle of cheap strong spanish wine to bring out its flavor the connoisseur smokes it in long pipes of cherry jasmine maple or rosewood and these require a servant skilled in the arts of cleaning and filling them the best jabali at cairo costs about seven piastres the pound after which a small sum must be paid to the farum or chopper who prepares it for use second suri tyrian or shami or suriani grown in syria an inferior growth of a lighter color than latakia and with a greenish tinge when cut its value is about three piastres per pound some smokers mix this leaf with jabali which to my taste spoils the flavor of the latter without improving the former the strongest kind called karani or jabail is generally used for cigarettes it costs when of first-rate quality about five piastres per pound third tumbak or persian tobacco called hijazi because imported from the hijaz where everybody smokes it and supposed to come from shiraz kazarun and other celebrated places in persia it is all but impossible to buy this article unadulterated except from the caravans returning after the pilgrimage the egyptians mix it with native growths which ruins its flavor and gives it an acridity that catches the throat whereas good tumbak never yet made a man cough yet the taste of this tobacco even when second-rate is so fascinating to some smokers that they will use no other 
to be used it should be wetted and squeezed and it is invariably inhaled through water into the lungs almost every town has its favorite description of pipe tobacco hammam hot bath three shillings twenty pence oil and clarified butter one shilling two pence total twelve shillings fifty pence equal to about two shillings and sixpence in these days who at cairo without a shake i thought it right to conform to popular custom and accordingly after having secured a servant my efforts were directed to finding a teacher the pretext being that as an indian doctor i wanted to read arabic works on medicine as well as to perfect myself in divinity and pronunciation a study essential to the learned as in some particular portions of the koran a mispronunciation becomes a sin my theological studies were in the Shafi'i school for two reasons in the first place it is the least rigorous of the four orthodox and secondly it most resembles the shia heresy with which long intercourse with persians had made me familiar the Shafi'i, to quote but one point of similarity abuse yazid the syrian tyrant who caused the death of the imam hussein this expression of indignation is forbidden by the Hanafi doctors, who rigidly order their disciples to judge not. My choice of doctrine, however, confirmed those around me in their conviction that I was a rank heretic, for the Ajami, taught by his religion to conceal offensive tenets, a systematic concealment of doctrine, and profession of popular tenets technically called by the shias takiyah the literal meaning of the word is fear or caution in lands where the open expression would be dangerous always represents himself to be a shafi'i this together with the original mistake of appearing publicly at alexandria as a mirza in a persian dress caused me infinite small annoyance at cairo in spite of all precautions and contrivances and throughout my journey, even in Arabia, though I drew my knife every time an offensive hint was thrown out, the ill-fame clung to me like the shirt of Nessus. It was not long before I happened to hit upon a proper teacher, in the person of Sheikh Mohammed al-Attar, or the druggist. He had known prosperity, having once been a Kataib, preacher, in one of Mohammed Ali's mosques, but His Highness the late Pasha had dismissed him, which disastrous event with its subsequent train of misfortunes he dates from the melancholy day when he took to himself a wife he talks of her abroad as a stern and rigid master dealing with a naughty slave though by the look that accompanies his rodomontade i am convinced that at home he was the very model of managed men his dismissal was the reason that compelled him to fall back upon the trade of a druggist the refuge for the once wealthy though now destitute sages of egypt his little shop in the jamilaya quarter is a perfect gem of melodic queerness a hole about five feet long and six deep pierced in the wall of some house is divided into two compartments separated by a thin partition of wood and communicating by a kind of arch cut in the boards the inner box germ of a back parlor acts as storeroom as the pile of empty old baskets tossed in dusty confusion upon the dirty floor shows in the front is displayed the stock in trade a matting full of persian tobacco and pipe bowls of red clay a palm-leaf bag containing vile coffee 
and large lumps of coarse whitey brown sugar wrapped up in browner paper on the shelves and ledges are rows of well-thumbed wooden boxes labelled with the greatest carelessness pepper for rhubarb arsenic for taffel or wash clay and sulphate of iron where sal ammoniac should be there is also a square case containing under lock and key small change and some choice articles of commerce damaged perfumes bad antimony for the eyes and pernicious rouge and dangling close above it is a rusty pair of scales ill-poised enough for egyptian themis herself to use to hooks over the shop front are suspended reeds for pipes tallow candles dirty wax tapers and cigarette paper instead of plate glass windows and brass handled doors a ragged net keeps away the flies when the master is in and the thieves when he goes out to recite in the Hassanain Mosque, his daily chapter, Yasin. One of the most esteemed chapters of the Quran, frequently recited as a wazifa or daily task by religious Muslims in Egypt. A wooden shutter which closes down at night time, and by day two palm stick stools, intensely dirty and full of fleas, accompanying the place of the mastabah or earthen bench. The mastabah here is a long earthen bench plastered over with clay and raised about two feet from the ground so as to bring the purchaser's head to a level with the shop. Muhammad Ali ordered the people to remove them as they narrow the streets. Their place is now supplied by kafas, cages or stools of wicker work, which accommodated purchasers complete the furniture of my preceptor's establishment. There he sits, or rather lies for verily I believe he sleeps through three-fourths of the day, a thin old man about fifty-eight, a great age in Lower Egypt, where but few reach the twelfth luster. Even the ancients observed that the old Egyptians, despite their attention to diet and physic, were the most short-lived, and the Britons, despite their barbarism, the longest-lived of men. With features once handsome and regular, a sallow face, shaven head, deeply wrinkled cheeks, eyes hopelessly bleared, and a rough gray beard ignorant of oil and comb. His turban, though large, is brown with wear. His coat and small clothes display many a hole, and though his face and hands must be frequently washed preparatory to devotion, still they have the quality of looking always unclean. It is wonderful how fierce and gruff he is to the little boys and girls who flock to him grasping farthings for pepper and sugar. On such occasions I sit admiring to see him, when forced to exertion, wheel about on his place, making a pivot of that portion of our organization which mainly distinguishes our species from the other families of the Simidae, to reach some distant drawer, or to pull down a case from its accustomed shelf. How does he manage to say his prayers, to kneel and to prostrate himself upon that two feet of ragged rug, scarcely sufficient for a British infant to lie upon. He hopelessly owns that he knows nothing of his craft, and the seats before his shop are seldom occupied. His great pleasure appears to be when the haji and I sit by him a few minutes in the evening, bringing with us pipes, which he assists us to smoke, and ordering coffee, which he insists upon sweetening with a lump of sugar from his little store. There we make him talk and laugh, and occasionally quote a few lines strongly savouring of the jovial. We provoke him 
to long stories about the love borne him in his student days by the great and holy Sheikh Abdul al Rahman, and the antipathy with which he was regarded by the equally great and holy Sheikh Nasser al Din, his memorable single imprisonment for contumacy. This is the imposition of Oxford and Cambridge. And the temperate but effective lecture, beginning with oh almost entirely destitute of shame delivered on that occasion in presence of other undergraduates by the right reverend principal of his college then we consult him upon matters of doctrine and quiz him tenderly about his powers of dormition and flatter him or rather his age with such phrases as the water from my hand is of the waters of zemzem or we have sought thee to deserve the blessings of the wise upon our undertakings sometimes with interested motives it must be owned we induce him to accompany us to the hammam the hammam or hot bath being a kind of religious establishment is one of the class of things so uncomfortably numerous in eastern countries left a la judac to thy generosity consequently you are pretty sure to have something disagreeable there which you would vainly attempt to avoid by liberality the best way to deal with all such extortioners with the longing ye undresser of a cairo hammam or the jarvie of a london hansom is to find out the fair and never to go beyond it never to be generous the hammam has been too often noticed to bear another description one point however connected with it i must be allowed to notice mr lane modern egyptians asserts that a moslem should not pray nor recite the koran in it as the bath is believed to be a favorite resort of jinnies or genie on the contrary it is the custom of some sects to recite a ricketine to bow prayer immediately after religious ablution in the hot cistern this however is macra or improper without being sinful to the followers of abu hanifa as a general rule throughout al-islam the fars obligatory prayers may be recited everywhere no matter how impure the place may be but those belonging to the class of sunnah traditionary and nafila supererogatory are macra though not actually unlawful in certain localities i venture this remark on account of the extreme accuracy of the work referred to a wonderful contrast to the generality of oriental books it amply deserves a revision in the rare places requiring care where he insists upon paying the smallest sum quarrelling with everything and everybody and giving the greatest trouble we are generally his only visitors acquaintances he appears to have few and no friends he must have had them once for he was rich but is not so now so they have fallen away from the poor old man when the sheikh mohammed sits with me or i climb up into his little shop for the purpose of receiving a lesson from him he is quite at his ease reading when he likes or making me read and generally beginning each lecture with some such preamble as this europeans so seldom see the regular old sheikh whose place is now taken by polite young men educated in england or france that this scene may be new even to those who have studied of late years on the banks of the nile iowa 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 this word is often used to signify simply yes it is corrupted from i wahi yes by allah in pure arabic i or i is synonymous with our yes or i and Allah in those countries enters somehow into every other phrase. 
even so even so even so we take refuge with allah from satan the stoned in the name of allah the compassionate the merciful and the blessings of allah upon our lord muhammad and his family and his companions one and all thus saith the author may almighty allah have mercy upon him section one of chapter two upon the orders of prayer etc he becomes fiercely sarcastic when i differ from him in an opinion especially upon a point of grammar or the theology over which his beard has grown gray subhan allah allah be glorified this is of course ironical allah be praised for creating such a prodigy of learning as thou art what words are these if thou be right enlarge thy turban the larger the turban the greater are the individual's pretensions to religious knowledge and respectability of demeanor this is the custom in egypt turkey persia and many other parts of the moslem world i e set up as a learned man and throw away thy drugs for verily it is better to quicken men's souls than to destroy their bodies o abdallah oriental like he revels in giving good counsel thou art always writing o my brave lagada as the egyptians pronounce it is used exactly like the Montbrave of france and are my good man this is said on the few occasions when i venture to make a note in my book what evil habit is this surely thou hast learned it in the lands of the frank repent he loathes my giving medical advice gratis thou hast two servants to feed o my son the doctors of egypt never write a b without a reward wherefore art thou ashamed better go and sit upon the mountain the mountain in Egypt and Arabia is what the jungle is in India. When informed that you come from the mountain, you understand that you are considered a mere clodhopper. When asserting that you will sit upon the mountain, you hint to your hearers an intention of turning anchorite or magician. At once, i.e., go to the desert and say thy prayers day and night. And finally, he is prodigal of preaching upon the subject of household expenses. Thy servant did write down two pounds of flesh yesterday. What words are these, O he? Yahoo, a common interpellative, not perhaps of the politest description. Dost thou never say, Guard us Allah from the sin of extravagance? He delights also in abruptly interrupting a serious subject when it begins to weigh upon his spirits for instance now the waters of ablution being of seven different kinds it results that hast thou a wife no then verily thou must buy thee a female slave o youth this conduct is not right and men will say of thee repentance i take refuge with allah a religious formula used when compelled to mention anything abominable or polluting to the lips of a pious man of a truth his mouth watereth for the spouses of other Moslems. But sometimes he nods over a difficult passage under my very eyes, or he reads it over a dozen times in the wanton of idleness, or he takes what schoolboys call a long shot, most shamelessly at the signification. When this happens I lose my temper, and raise my voice, and shout, Verily there is no power nor might save in Allah, the High, the Great. Then he looks at me, and with passing meekness whispers, Fear Allah, O oh man. End of chapter 4